You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. So this is the first Sunday of Advent, and as you already know, Advent will look differently. Uh, There's no candles. I thought about trying to do candles and got a little concerned that I'd set my books on fire. Uh, So I thought that's probably not going to work. But yet the meaning of Advent and its significance should continue to burn strongly. Uh, The word Advent itself comes from a Latin term, Adventus, which means coming, coming. It's a translation of the Greek word parousia, which means coming or presence. So when we speak of the coming or presence of Christ, you're stressing a personal presence. But what's interesting is that if you go back in church history, um, Advent had different focuses during certain centuries. So in the fourth and fifth century, this emphasis of coming was actually connected to people new in the faith, becoming new believers, and then looking ahead to their baptism. Then when you got to like the sixth century, Advent was then connected to the coming of Christ, but but not the coming that we often think of. It wasn't connected to his first coming. It was actually connected to his second coming. So in the sixth century, the emphasis of Advent was more on the judgment of Christ and what he will do when he returns. It wasn't really until the Middle Ages that then the focus shifted to his first coming, which is often how we think of it. We're we're celebrating, we're remembering Christ's incarnation, his birth. Uh, And so I hope in our Advent theme this year, which is going to be Jesus Christ, the Great Shepherd, that we'll bring both of those together, uh, that we'll not just focus on his first coming, but but also what does it mean to be prepared for his second coming, for the second advent? 
And so if our general theme is going to be Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, and looking at that from different perspectives in the Old and New Testament, we're going to start the first Sunday of Advent with Jesus Christ, the shepherd king. Uh, and so that's why we're looking at Isaiah chapter 40. So in the book of Isaiah, you do have some, some numerous prophecies about Christ's coming. Isaiah 9, you have one there about the different names that Jesus will have. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Um, Isaiah 11, we'll talk about this branch to come. But, but Isaiah 40 stands out as a clear teaching on Jesus Christ, uh, the Shepherd King. Uh, and so we're going to look at how Isaiah, first of all, gives us an introduction uh, to the shepherd king. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, we want to first set this in its context. In other words, it looks like it's very similar to chapter 39. You look in your Bibles, it all looks the same type print, everything else. But, but really, Isaiah 40 jumps out and starts the second half of the book. In fact, Isaiah 40 through the end of Isaiah is sometimes called the second exodus because it is such a dramatic change from what was recorded in chapters 1 through 39. So setting it in context, Isaiah 40 is suddenly a shift to exciting news, whereas the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about the sinfulness of the nations around the people of Israel and Judah, and then also the sinfulness of Israel and Judah. So in other words, Isaiah is telling them they're going to go into the Babylonian captivity, and that will be a devastating time of God's judgment on them. But God has promised he will restore them. He, he will not forget the promise that he made to, to David and to um, Solomon, which you read of in First and Second Samuel. Uh, so that gives you part of the context of chapter 40. Secondly, in the context is the fact that the word shepherd appears seven times in the book of Isaiah. Um, and shepherd's a broad term. It can be used to refer to earthly rulers and leaders, uh, and that could be good or bad, wicked or righteous. Um, and only one time in the book of Isaiah is it used to refer to the Messiah. And that would be here in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, which we'll get to. And then one last piece in the context of this book is just thinking of the use of the metaphor shepherd in the Old Testament. So we'll see in the weeks to come how it's used by Jeremiah, how it's used by Ezekiel, how God himself is described as being the shepherd of Israel. Uh, probably the most popular psalm, Psalm 23, begins with the Lord is my shepherd. So it's a very familiar metaphor. So all of that helps us understand and begins the introduction to the shepherd king. But as I said, there's a dramatic change here because chapter 40 moves us to the anticipation of the shepherd king. So with all of that background information, now let's look at verse three. 
in Isaiah 40, verse 3, we read, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Now, we know through the New Testament that this is a clear fulfillment of the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, that, in fact, in the Gospel of John, it mentions this happened to fulfill what Isaiah said. But notice in that description of John the Baptist's ministry that it clearly connects this shepherd king with being fully divine. Because in verse 3, the ministry of John the Baptist is to make or prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare the way for Yahweh. And so we have the word of God speaking here, and yet this distinction between preparing the way for Yahweh, but Yahweh is speaking. Notice as well, not only prepare the way for the Lord or Yahweh, but then to make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Here's another title for God, the title Elohim, which focuses on God being the creator of all things. So we, we kind of can piece together here. Here, this shepherd king will come. He will, in many ways, recreate and bring about new life and hope and deliverance as Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. But Isaiah, in introducing this shepherd king, tells us more than just, well, he's the fulfillment of the ministry of John the Baptist. He's not just given the titles of God, but with those titles come the attributes and characteristics of God. And so now we'll, we'll peel away a little more the look here we're given of what is the shepherd king to be like, knowing that the word shepherd comes packed with all of these other metaphors of a ruler, uh, of one who hopefully is righteous. So look with me at verse 4. And following it, and we'll walk through some of the attributes that the shepherd king will have. Notice in verse four, uh, it speaks about every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Uh, in other words, it speaks here of the omnipotence of this one to come. In other words, there will be no obstacles that will prevent or impede his coming to earth. Uh, no circumstances will prevent it, uh, that this is all accordance with God sending his son, uh, but the one who comes will be omnipotent. And you have this language here in both three and four, uh, sort of what might happen in ancient times if a king was needing to travel through a certain route, uh, that representatives would be sent ahead of time uh, to make sure there was a road to travel. Uh, to make sure it was relatively safe. Uh, so you would have one go through and prepare that route ahead of time. And we can see through the pages of the Old Testament that this route, this provision of a savior was prepared in accordance with God's prophecy. Uh, but this one, the shepherd king will be omnipotent. There will be no obstacle too great for him. But then glancing at verse five, uh, we're told in addition, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, and you find in Isaiah, as well as many other 
prophecies about Christ, often partial fulfillments. Because we could look at this and say, clearly in Christ, the glory of the Lord was revealed. Uh, in other words, the, the full splendor and brilliance of Christ reflected the glory of God. Uh, you may recall in Luke's gospel, he speaks of the transfiguration. And there, when Christ was on the mount you know, with Moses and Elijah, uh, it says their clothes appeared as lightning, as flashes of lightning. They, they saw a glimpse into the glory of God. Now, clearly, though, in verse 5, there's a part of this which yet remains to be seen. All mankind together will see it. That's pointing us ahead to, as we said, in this celebration of Advent in church history, where they often connected it to his second coming. Uh, that coming in glory and also coming in judgment, uh, which is something we always want to include in the Advent, because that is a part of the gospel message. Not just Christ came and who he was, that he was fully God and fully man, but he's also returning, and for two specific purposes, uh, to reward the righteous and to judge those who have rejected him. So, so far we've seen two attributes in this introduction, confirming that this one to come is the shepherd king. He is God, uh, his omnipotence and his glory. But then look at verses six through eight, and you have a contrast between something very temporal and that which is permanent. In other words, that this one to come will be eternal. Uh, where grass withers and everything else, flowers fade, um, that you get to the conclusion there in verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, so here we think of, again, the description in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the living word of God. He is God in the flesh appearing. And so we see this shepherd king to come, comes and he is eternal. He, he has no beginning and no end. The Tanakh, which is the English translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, the Tanakh renders the last part of verse 8 this way. The word of our God is always fulfilled. And th that would really complete that earlier picture. Every valley, everything will be prepared and nothing will prevent the coming of the servant king. And what an assurance when we live at a time when we realize much of normal life is interrupted by, by COVID and, and precautions we need to take, that there'll be nothing that will interrupt the timing of Christ's return. Uh, it will happen according to God's schedule. Uh, but in looking at these attributes, we have two more that are mentioned here uh, in verse nine. Notice the end of verse 9, the very last four words, here is your God. Isn't that a summary of the gospel? Here is your God. That, that we are rejoicing that God has come, uh, that he has come to redeem, to reconcile. Uh, think of how many of the different favorite hymns that you might have for Christmas um, have theology woven into them. Uh, that he came to reconcile God to man. 
And this simple statement, here is your God. Think of the message given to Mary and Joseph. You will, this child is Emmanuel, God with us. Here is your God. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see perfect justice and unconditional mercy in this shepherd king. Perfect justice and unconditional mercy. Verse 10 says, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. So a picture of tremendous, not just omnipotence and strength, but, but sovereignty and he controls all things. And that, that should be of great assurance as we, we head into Advent. One of the things I was praying for would be, well, what do our people need to hear? You know, this is going to be an Advent series that is different from others. It's, it's going to look different. But yet, what is it we most need to hear? And I think what we most need to hear for ourselves personally is we need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is a great shepherd. That, that in times like these, we, we do need to understand what it means to say the Lord is my shepherd. And then what that message should mean in terms of other people we know who are, are trying to navigate through their life by, by just going from circumstance to circumstance or from a favorable forecast about a vaccine to, to some other announcement in the news. That, that, that's their security. That, that's what they're trying to base their life on. What they need to hear is about Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. In other words, here, here is your God. And so we see that spelled out here in this introduction to the shepherd king in Isaiah 40. But looking again at verse 10 and 11, notice that this one, his arm rules for him, that Christ is the one promised to David who will come and reign forever on the throne of David. But then notice it says his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Uh, in other words, he comes to also reward as well as to punish. But then notice verse 11 speaks of his mercy. Uh, that he comes and, and Israel will be punished. They will face God's discipline. They, they will go off into the Babylonian captivity but yet they are reassured of God's promise and his covenant to David. But, but as you look at verse 11, there's four verbs that speak of his unconditional mercy, that this mighty shepherd king will come, but he'll be unlike any other king. And that is first, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Uh, he, will, he will care for them. And notice the second verb, he gathers the lambs in his arms, a picture of a mighty king who yet tenderly condescends uh, to those he created who will by and large reject him uh, while he's on earth. So he tends, he gathers, then he carries them close to his heart. What a, what a position of the affection uh, and, and in an ancient culture, um, shepherds love their sheep. Remember, shepherd isn't a butcher. 
He's, he's not raising his sheep to take them to be butchered. He, he loves his sheep. And even in the Middle East today, it's not unusual to have a shepherd will, will bring a, a lamb who is not feeling well, uh, will bring them into their house and, and will speak of them as being a, a family member. Uh, and so this picture of a shepherd with such care and compassion would have culturally resonated with Isaiah's audience. They, they've seen things like that. Uh, they've, they've seen that look of a shepherd who can't find a sheep and is, is worried about that sheep. Uh, and then when they, they see that sheep, there's, there's like, it's almost like a Hallmark card moment. I mean, they, they really do love their flock. And so we see here in the shepherd king, he carries them close to his heart. And then the fourth verb, he gently leads those who have young. But again, keep in mind how this particular passage began in verse 1. So remember I said that chapters 1 through 39 present a very bleak, dark picture. And maybe that helps set in contrast the exciting news of the advent of a shepherd king. Just like for us, the, the darkness of the difficult times right now sets the perfect contrast for us to focus in Advent on the anticipation of the shepherd king. Notice though in verse one, you have that twice repeated phrase, comfort, comfort my people. And that phrase, my people, automatically should make you connect. That's covenant language. That's God speaking to a people that he has made a covenant with. They, they are my people, not I'm speaking to the people or just these people. I'm speaking to my people. And the need that they have in Isaiah's day that they will need to experience comfort. And any time a phrase is repeated like that, it's to drive home the emphasis. Uh, the word comfort there literally means to, to restore to life. Uh, and Israel will experience a complete reversal of what the Babylonian captivity brings. They will experience a reversal, a restoration. So we see in this message, what a powerful introduction to the shepherd king. But it's very clear as you follow Isaiah's message here and these words, that more than just an introduction to the shepherd king is the demand for a response to the shepherd king. In other words, you can't read this and not leave with saying, what should our response be to the shepherd king? Uh, and there, there's only two options, and there's only ever been two options to the shepherd king. Uh, the first would be simply the wrong response. And the wrong response is to willingly reject him and to disobey him, to look for something else to substitute for our deepest needs. Uh, if, if you were to read through verses 12 through 31, the rest of Isaiah 40, it presents the wrong option. In other words, the rest of the chapter talks about the rejection of the shepherd king. Uh, in other words, 
the foolishness of rejecting this one who will be sent. And it finally gets to the end of Isaiah chapter 40, talking about those who substitute something else. And that is they, they make an idol. They, they carve something out of wood and they prop it up and they, they think somehow that will answer their deepest needs. So Isaiah anticipates there will be many who will respond in disobedience and willful rejection of the shepherd king. But the right response he focuses in on in verses 9 and 10. So in verses 9 and 10, we see what does the right response look like? It's obedience and joyful worship. No matter what our circumstances, as we look at this shepherd king, this should mark us as followers of Christ. Obedience and joyful worship. So looking at verse 9, it says, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now, we already said, here is your God is a, a really good summary of the gospel. But, but notice the excitement that's there. We, we see this as good tidings. Uh, we're familiar with saying good news. Uh, and, and this phrase comes out of the battlefield where it could refer sometimes to good news. It can refer to bad news. But it's this news that comes that is very important. It, it needs to be heralded. It needs to be announced. And so the message of this servant king who's come once and is going to return again should be for those who are obedient to him is great news. It's news that changes our life, not just at conversion, but, but every day we live is transformative. It affects how we see the world around us, how we see our circumstances. It is good tidings. But then notice he says we should lift up the voice with a shout. Uh, the word shout there could be rendered thunder. In other words, as God's people, we should thunder this message. We should talk about it among ourselves, be, be excited about it. Uh, as we talk about things going on in our world, that, that we're always bringing into it this greater message, this good tidings of a shepherd king who has come. Uh, this would partly explain, I think, why you have Paul in Romans 1 at the end of the introduction to Romans 1 in verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel uh, because I know it has the power to change lives. Um, and that should be true for you and for me. Uh, we're not hesitant to speak of the advent because it, it changes lives. It changes everything. It's changed your life. It's changed my life. But that right response is also seen in verse 10, where it comes with rewards and recompense. Uh, those two words speak of uh, wages and benefits. Not that we earn salvation, but when we respond in obedience and joyful worship to the shepherd king, there are blessings that are ours now in Christ Jesus, that transcend our circumstances, that transcend even our health concerns and things like that. 
that that is one of the things that we should rejoice in. Rejoicing in our rewards and recompense in Jesus Christ. So I want you to think for a moment, a very practical level, what are the implications of this? You know, it's one thing to, to say, well, this is how it should affect us. But, but here we are on the first Sunday of Advent, stepping back to reflect on the shepherd king in light of the bigger picture of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. How, how should that impact us on a daily basis? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, because I think the answer is found in how it's impacted others throughout history. But in Luke chapter 1, we come to the description and narrative of the angel Gabriel. And in Luke 1, look at verses 29 through 31, as Gabriel speaks to Mary. Consider what we're told about Mary, and then what the angel says in response, announcing the coming of the shepherd king. Verse 29, Luke writes, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's Mary, a, a young, probably an early teenager, and, and her world, you could say, is, is basically very much flipped upside down right now. But notice in that sense where she is troubled, wondering about how all this could, could possibly happen, that the angel says, do not be afraid. Only in Christ can you say that to anyone today. Only can I say that with the firmest conviction to each of you. Do not be afraid. And it's not because, well, there might be a vaccine soon or because you know, rates will go, surge rate will increase. That means at some point it must decrease. The reason I can say do not be afraid is because of the shepherd king. Because he has come. Because he does reign presently. And he is returning. So that familiar phrase that we hear when an angel speaks to Mary, to Joseph, and says, do not be afraid. They're saying that because of who the shepherd king is will come. But then looking at the same passage, go down to verse 37 and 38. The response of obedience and joyful obedience that Isaiah talked of. We see this in Mary. When all is said and done, notice verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Notice the practical implication for us. If Christ is your shepherd king, nothing is impossible for God. Whatever issue you might be dealing with, whatever circumstance, challenge, temptation you're dealing with, nothing is impossible with God. 
And then the last verse, notice Mary's response. I, I am the Lord's servant. A picture of willing obedience and submission to the one who would come. And that is exactly what we see spelled out for us in Isaiah chapter 40. Knowing who the servant king is should lead us to respond in complete confidence and trust in all things. And so as we look ahead to how God wants to teach us about not just his first coming, but also how to be prepared for his return, that in between we find instruction, encouragement, and how to live now. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, thank you for the word of God that will endure, that stands forever, that will be completely fulfilled. May this simple truth about our shepherd king change how we live our lives this week, how we respond to our circumstances, how we respond even to one another. May we be able to say like Mary, I am a servant of the Lord. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.